Uh, welcome to Sport and Life. Leon Wiegard and Sam Kegovich. Sam, how are you? I'm outstanding, Leon, particularly now given the fact that we've had the uh, shackles removed, we've got a bit of fresh air, a bit of light at the end of the tunnel and, uh, well, freedom. We're reassembled here at the Prince Hotel in St Kilda. Oh, and what a place this is now. Well, it's opulent, yes, and uh, more importantly, I noticed, I didn't know, I know you're very uh, vigilant, but I noticed one of our favourite bottles being opened a little bit later on to... uh, uh, just uh, mature. What is it? <laughs> Not I a print. I think it's a print, yes. It is a print, Leon. <laughs> I call it a print at the prince. A print at the prince, beautifully praised. And down below on the way in, did you see Rosemary Long? Rosemary Long, the manager of the great... Ronald Dalbrassi. Ronald Dalbrassi, and I also saw Ronald's son there, Richard. Richard was with him, uh, with her. And uh, and uh, remind me of the country town from which Ronald Dalbrassi comes. Just out of Castlemaine, Leon. Guildford. Guildford's a word. Which is a dropkick away from? From? Uh, Yapoon. 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 Which is where Dusty Martin comes from. Dusty Martin comes from. So, and what's the other significant part about Guildford when we ventured there as, on, as a group with Van Sank? The big tree. The big trees there, but also with your great uh, and astute vision and leadership, we erected a statue of the great man, Ronald Dale Barassi. Yes, the Van Sank Club were uh, instrumental and, in fact, funded the whole... In fact, we, uh, I might say, with a uh, little bit of support from Jerry Ryan. I think he had a uh, modicum of input. Uh, <laughs> It was only, uh, well, let's just say he built it himself. Uh, (laughs) And it stands there today right on the footy ground. It does. On the the main corner of Guildford. It is. And there is how many corners in Guildford? Uh, uh, Let me tell you, there's one crossroad, so there's one, Uh, two, three, four. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome along to our special guest today, Frank Sedgman. Frank Sedgman, number one player in the world in tennis. Uh, Fantastic amateur player. Uh, went with the, the money with all the players that, uh, well, eventually, of course, they proved right. Uh, with the, um, the packer of the tennis world, uh, Kramer, and, uh, uh, and went on to do wonderful things. And a good friend of ours. Frank, welcome along to our podcast. And thanks, thanks for having Thank you very much. They were hairy days. Uh, and, you know, as an amateur, let's go back through that. Firstly... Were you always going to be a tennis player or were you like every other kid in the time and uh, played other sports? Well, I went to school at Box Hill High and uh, I played football there. And uh, But uh, I was mainly interested in tennis because my father was very keen on tennis and uh, he, he was president of the Blackburn Tennis Club for a while. And he took me along one year to Kuyong just after the floods. I don't know whether you know... Oh, the yeah, the Gardner Creek. Yeah. It used to go all the time. But it filled, oh, yeah, filled but up the centre court. I've seen the photos. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, they brought out Von uh, Cram and Budge to play an exhibition. Donald Budge. Yeah, and uh, we uh, he took me to there to watch Donald Budge and uh, I, got, I got the feeling <coughs> that, you know, I'd like to be a tennis player. Uh, what age were you about that time? Oh, about... Uh, 16, I suppose. Okay. Although, well, that's, you know, that's getting on. I mean, there's a lot of good 16-year-old tennis players who have been playing for a while, so... Yeah. Well, it got to the stage where he... We were living in Blackburn, and he he got a job in Brunswick. A friend of his, or an uncle of his, owned a 
the Zalika fibroplaster factory, but he wanted somebody to live next door to it to, because people were coming in and pinching a few of the trucks oh, out right. of the factory, you see. And uh, so he said, oh, yeah, we'll go and live in, uh, in Brunswick. And I used to catch a train from Brunswick to Box Hill to still go to school. Okay. And I used to walk from the Box Hill Station to Box Hill High School, which was a hell of a walk. But uh, anyway, I did that for a year. But while we are living at Brunswick, I used to hit the ball against the factory wall, the front garden, just had enough space. We did have a backyard, and that was the old days when the dunny people would come in and take the dunny yeah, away. <laughs> the night cart. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, that was... The well, as they used to say, I was as flat as a shit carter's hat. That's, That's right. right. Anyway, I had I used to hit this ball up against the wall and volley all the time. I, there wasn't enough room to let the ball bounce, so I was just volleying, volleying, volleying after school, you know, weekends and all that sort of stuff. Uh, interesting about Brunswick, uh, Sam, that you're an old North Melbourne man. I know Western Australia and the country Victoria, but uh, Brunswick, because it's produced, if you like, and... We can't say that Brunswick produced you because you're from uh, Blackburn, Box Hill, but um, Peter Thompson, uh, yeah. the Schimmel Bushes, the two brothers, um, so many others. Yeah, well, we lived. I lived the street just away from Peter Thompson. I lived in Union Street, and he lived in Parkville Street or something, just yeah, just across the road. And he went to he he played golf at Raw Park. On the, where the next to the zoo. Yes, yeah. And I joined a tennis club there at. Uh, in the, in the same complex, yeah. yeah. Well, Frank, you plied your trade at the tennis club there, but I think the tennis club also holds a another very significant part of your life or an attachment there that you met someone that uh, I think for the last 57-odd years has been a significant partner of yours, the lovely Jean, oh. your wife. <laughs> she was a fair player in her own right, was she not? Oh, she, she liked playing tennis, yeah. yeah. Anyway, uh, did she play tennis because you you were the uh, you were the uh, draw card or was she? No, nah, well, she played at uh, Bentley, and uh, apparently she heard that uh, I was going to have play McGregor at an exhibition match at uh, Brunswick Tennis Club in Victoria Street, I think it is. And uh, anyway, she got she she copped me there and uh, came and watched me, and I often tell the story that she and McGregor she she took a girlfriend with her she's telling the girlfriend don't you talk to Frank Sedgwick he's mine <laughs> <laughs> and by the way um, your wife and you and uh, I guess some of the family members might have been around for your birthday yesterday so happy birthday yesterday oh thank you yeah, yeah. Happy, happy birthday, birthday Frankie <laughs> In, insert song yeah. <laughs> you know, same the same date as uh, Eddie Maguire's. Is that right? Yeah. Eddie's birthday yesterday. Well, happy birthday! Happy Eddie birthday too. to you, do it. Were you much of an academic, Frank, at school? No, no. didn't like school. We're very poor. Very poor. <laughs> Joined the club. Uh, I got my intermediate certificate, and uh, and my dad said, you know, I've got to pay for you to go to get you leaving. So, Which was uh, big in those days. That was big in those days. So yeah. He said, oh, I'll get you a job. So he got me a job at the Argus office. 
Yeah, in the paper, yeah. yeah. In the but river. you know what? I, sit, I sat with the, about four other guys on a long table and the, my job was to take the articles that some of the reporters wrote Right to the uh, to the editor to the solicitors. Oh, right, right. Check it out. To have them cleared. To have them cleared. Yeah. Tell me. Yeah. Interesting. So we used to. I used to walk around the city all the time. (laughs) Tell me. The solicitors' offices. Do you remember your first tennis racket you got? Yeah, yeah. That was. uh, I yeah. I can't remember the the make of it, but. I went to sleep with it in the bed. <laughs> so that was because <laughs> a new, new new tennis racket. Yeah. Right, I can imagine it's fantastic. And you mentioned volleying before. Serving volleying was the nature of the beast in those yeah. days with tennis. I remember all the greats, you know, used to serve and rush to the net. Whereas the contemporaries of today, it's all baseline, you know, bam, yeah, wham. That's right. You know, you must look at it now and think to yourself, boy, geez, a five setters last five and a half hours now. Yeah, they're yeah. fairly durable. Yeah, well. Um, I went and watched the Davis Cup match at Kuyong just after the war, and uh, the Yanks had. Uh, that's the Second Trouble. World War, isn't it? <laughs> 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 <A> Korean War. <laughs> yeah. 1947 or 46, uh, the Yanks came out and, yep. and beat us out at Kuyong because we were the holders of the cup. Yep. And they brought out Kramer and Schroeder and couple other guys and uh, naturally I went along and watched them and uh, Harry Hopman, I was at a class with Harry Hopman at Kuyong uh, I used to come from Box Hill with a racket to go to his class at Kuyong and uh, anyway he realised that uh, our game would have to you know, get more reliable on uh, serve and volley so you know, I, I watched Kramer and Schroeder play and uh, I thought, oh, gee, you know, this this is a way to play. It so turns out that I was good enough to win the uh, Victorian Junior Championships and I won the Australian Junior Championship. And I was in the Linton Cup team that we played off in Adelaide against all, all the other states. And Victoria, we won, the, we won the Linton Cup. So I was on my way and... Uh, Hopman then said, well, gee whiz, you know, you're playing pretty pretty well. We'll raise some money. Well, he was writing for the Herald and he started a Sedgman for Wimbledon Fund and that was 1948. And uh, we got enough, he, he knew enough wealthy guys to get me enough money. I never saw them, you know, he, he controlled the money. I don't know how much they raised, but... I, I got a bit lucky because uh, I, we went to um, Wimbledon and you know how we got there was on a flying boat. Oh. It took five days to get there. What's Bruce Goose? I wonder what's the name of him. See, it couldn't, wasn't compressed air. Or no, they, they didn't go high enough. And it couldn't fly at night. So you had to land, you know, on Daylight, the Daylight, yeah. We had five stops on the way over, you know, with Bali and then Singapore and then Bombay, I think, and then... Uh, yeah, Middle East. Middle East and then yeah. Gibraltar. 
Yeah. The forehand volley would have been a bit rusty by the time you got there, Frank. Yeah, well, I was sitting, like you and me now, I was sitting there looking at Hopman for five days. <laughs> it was a bit boring. But, uh, but uh, the the, um, the footage of you uh, when you see those, it looks very luxurious, but I guess that's first class, and you wouldn't have been first class. I, I, no, I wouldn't wasn't, have thought. There wasn't any classes in it. Oh, wasn't it? No. 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 Anyway, we got to Wimbledon, and I walked through the gates, and I thought, Jesus, this is pretty good. And uh, because, you know, the history of the place and all that, but uh, I was lucky enough to play doubles with John Bromwich. And uh, he didn't like flying, so he was left out of the Davis Cup team that played that year in America. And, of course, Australia was beaten, but uh, I was lucky enough to play with Bromwich and I won the Wimbledon title first. You did first year I was there. First up, well, we yeah. would have been what age at that time? I was uh, twenty-one. Twenty-one. Well, what an experience! And ironically enough, Leon, the year before Bromwich held match point at Wimbledon. That year. That year. Yeah. And got beat. Yeah. I just forget who beat you. Beat Jaroslav Drobny. Yeah. After Drobny beat you the week you won Queens the week before, but Drobny beat you the week I think, and then you beat him. About four out of five times, but Bromwich held match point. Yeah, he did. Yeah, and, and he let a ball go and land on the line. Landed on the line. You can't <laughs> think of who beat him. Um, it was uh, um, Falkenberg, Falkenberg. Was it Falkenberg? I think it oh, might Falkenberg. Yeah. yeah. Well, these these are yeah. names that a lot of people won't remember, of course, but they're fantastic because uh, they were great players. And you're talking about Bromwich, for instance, yeah. um, and he he's. I, I know tennis people know him very very well, but. The general sporting public in, in Australia wouldn't remember Bromwich that much. No, well, he's... Predominantly a doubles player, Bromwich was. Yeah, Even he was a good singles... for years. Yeah, yeah, so was McGregor. Well, McGregor. I was going to ask you, we'll get on to McGregor in a minute, uh, because yeah, that, well, that deserves a fair bit of time. Bromwich and Quist were the main players in Australia at that time, and uh, Quist uh, and Bromwich were a pretty good doubles team, but... Uh, the Yanks just cleaned them up, 46. Uh, so, Frank, I've got down here, and tell me if I'm wrong, uh, three Davis Cup wins, this is in your amateur days, uh, 1950-51 and 52. Um, the strong teams in those days were the States, and Italy weren't bad either. So, yeah, they were pretty good. Uh, who else was around in those days? Well, when we won it back to bring it back to Australia, we started off in Mexico. We had to play Mexico in Mexico City, which was pretty Tough going. Da- daunting because they had they had two good brothers, the Vega brothers, and uh, you played at Mexico City and you're always running out of breath. And it was a played it was played on on clay court, and so you're puffy. You're yeah. Having a few rallies and you're puffing like mad. Oh God, we we scraped through that. Bromwich played well, and uh, I was left to play the fifth match. I, I won that, and uh, anyway, we we went from playing Mexico, which was you know we were a bit lucky. I think I I won in five sets, and uh, we went to Canada, played Can- Canadian guys there at uh, in Toronto and or Montreal. And then uh, we won that tie and we went then to uh, Westchester Country Club, which is just in, in north of New York. 
and uh, we met the Swedes and uh, we, we were playing uh, in front of the local uh, club people and uh, that's when Norman Brooks joined the team he thought we might have had a chance and uh, anyway uh, we, you, you, they had a hotel attached to the courts and uh, <laughs> I tell the story that we were walking out there and we're two, two rubbers all and uh, Norman Brooks's Sir Norman yeah. was walking out with me and Hopman and he said, Sedgman, if you don't win this fifth match, you're on the next plane home. <laughs> so, you think, so you think you feel That's like, an <laughs> you think you're feeling a bit of pressure. <laughs> and? Anyway, I beat Sven Davidson in straight sets. So I stayed on and then we won we played the Yanks in uh, New York and uh, I, I played Tom uh, Tom Brown in the first rubber and they asked asked me to shake hands with him across the Davis Cup and I shook hands. But he was he was shaking like a leaf. <laughs> and I thought, geez, I've got a chance here. <laughs> I beat him in straight sets. And uh, that's when we were able to win the Davis Cup back for Australia. So where, where was Satius and um, uh, Kramer and those sort of guys? Kramer. Kramer, well. Yeah, Satius as well. Yeah, Big Satius, yeah. Yeah, well, they picked this Tom Brown and they picked uh, Schroeder. And uh, Schroeder was the number one player in the world because he'd won Wimbledon and everything. And Bromwich, uh, uh, no, we're, I'd won against Tom Brown and McGregor. Well, Bromwich told Hopman that he didn't think he had the power game to play against the Yanks. So uh, McGregor had to play Schroeder. And Schroeder was, you know, was the number one player in the world then. And because Bromwich had told Hopman that... Uh, he wasn't. He, he was, didn't, didn't want have to play. A, didn't have a firepower. So McGregor, in, in about two two weeks before the tie, uh, Hopman worked like mad with McGregor. You know, on his serve and out of place of the ball and all this sort of stuff. Anyway, uh, I, I won my match, first match. One walking back to the clubhouse, and I passed pass him on the way, and I said, "Oh, well, good luck, Macca. You know, you've got to." You know, see if you can knock off the Schroeder. Anyway, sure enough, he beat Schroeder, and uh, we uh, McGregor and I won the doubles. Bromwich all over. Was uh, you know he said, "Oh no, I won't play anymore," and uh, I started playing with McGregor, and we we formed a pretty good uh, partnership. Twenty two mm. uh, titles was not bad. Yeah. <laughs> and you remember the Vang Singh uh, when we brought um, McGregor over from Adelaide without telling you? Yeah. Grand final yeah, uh, yeah. lunch and um, and uh, Jack Cramer. Yeah. No. Uh, no. Well, that was another time. Yeah. With, uh, but McGregor, we brought across without uh, Frank knowing, and, mm. and that was a wonderful time. Yeah, we, we yeah. interviewed you, I think, and, uh, and in fact, you just took it away then and you spoke to each other about uh, old times. <laughs> it was terrific. Yeah. Frank, the uh, Davis Cup was, in, in my time, I remember as a kid, I used to listen to all the Davis Cups on the wireless. Oh, yeah. I remember the days of Vic Satius and Alex Olmedo, Pancho Gonzalez, all these names that you would yeah. know very, very well. And we as kids, I would listen to it because that was the pinnacle of, a, of tennis, the yeah. Davis Cup. 
Are you a little bit saddened now that the demise of the Davis Cup is no longer, has lost a bit of its luster? It's lost a bit of its luster, yeah, yeah. because of the big money that's around, you know, playing singles in uh, in the tournaments. Bit of a shame, isn't it, that yeah. they don't retain that bit of tradition? Yeah, well, they still play it, but of course... Doesn't but it's zoned and, you know, yeah. it's not what it was. Different no. format, yeah. Different formats. Yeah. Well, there, there's the Davis Cup Foundation and, uh, you know, Frank and I go to this dinner every year and at the same time as the Australian Open, uh, open and you'd think that might struggle to, I mean I hope it doesn't uh, but you'd think it might struggle um, Just, but I hope they do keep going because it keeps the Davis Cup alive doesn't yeah, it? Oh, it's terribly important I think for the, the symbolism of the game it's symbolic yeah, of what yeah. it's saying now the, mother, the other thing that always intrigues me about you and what the most significant thing about you apart from your achievements was very pivotal because in 53 you turned professional which would have been a nerve-wracking exercise i think you and mcgregor came to grips and you know you argy bargy whether we should or shouldn't or shouldn't because you had the whole nation at the edge of their chairs because you felt obligated to the nation yeah because of their commitment to you and yet by the same token you had the opportunity of really bettering yourself you know for the rest of your life well that was the problem uh, you know we played davis cup they paid all our airfares, hotel expenses and meals and everything. But they gave us 25 shillings a day expenses. Mm. So I was only making 25 shillings a day and we were filling the crowds up, you know, at Christmas time and mm. uh, we weren't making any money out of it. And uh, I, uh, you know, I was getting to the stage where, oh, you know, what am I going to do for a job sort of thing, make some money. So Kramer came along. In fact, the year before, I almost turned pro with uh, Bobby Riggs. Oh yes. And I was <laughs> going to play. I was going to play Gonzales a hundred match tour around the states, but I was playing in Sydney at the New South Wales Championships, and we got the message. Oh, we were going to start about in February, going around the states, but we got the message that. Uh, Gonzalez and Bobby Riggs that are out. I think Gonzalez wanted much more money than Riggs was offering, and they called the tour off. So, and I hadn't won Wimbledon then. I thought, oh, thank God. I'm, you know, I was a bit worried. I thought, you know, I'd miss, miss a chance of playing at Wimbledon. Anyway, they called the tour off, and I played another year. What as sort of an money, amateur. Frank? Do you remember what sort of money it was to turn pro? Well, with Riggs, I was only going to get about 35 grand or something like that. But then Kramer came along, and this is after I'd won Wimbledon, and uh, $100,000. That's a lot of money in those days, Frank. <laughs> Bought a lot of real estate, a lot of pubs. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's not bad now. It's not bad, exactly. Oh. Oh. Cut it out. They're playing for. Three million or four million to win a tournament now. Yeah, but it costs you three million to buy a house, Frank. <laughs> you could buy five of them, which you still got fifteen. Oh, uh, yeah. I, I'm talking about the ordinary Joe on the street now. A hundred thousand dollars is still a lot of money. I can tell you. <coughs> Excuse but, me, uh, uh, Frank. I, I want to ask you a name, and uh, I, I'll, I'll be interested to see the look on uh, on uh, Sam's eye uh, in his eyes here. Doris Hart. Does that ring a bell with you? Now I reckon I reckon ninety nine point nine percent of Australians would never have heard of Doris Hart. That's right. Yeah. Well, that's another bit of luck I had, I suppose, because uh, <laughs> excuse me. Excuse <laughs> me. <laughs> no. Well, she. We might she, delete that from the transcript, <laughs> Dan. All right. She'd had polio and she couldn't run very well, and. Uh, 
Anyway, the year I, when you know, the first year I played at Wimbledon, I played with her, and we, we were runner up to. Uh, 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 who was one? That I, uh, we ran up to Bromwich and uh, Louise Bruff. That's right. All right. And, uh, and Doris and I it was a three set match. It was pretty close. Anyway, the year I won, I played with her, and uh, I won the three titles in the one year. I was the last male player to win the three titles in the mm. one year at Wimbledon, but. One of the ones, the titles I run was with Doris Hart. So. But Leo, mixed doubles in those days was huge. Oh, yes, my word. See, now it's not that big, you know, no. and so the pros don't even play mixed doubles. But in those days, doubles and mixed doubles were a huge feature. Yeah. Amazing. But to win the three titles is wonderful. Where, where was Doris from? St. Flora. I'm so American girl, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so there, there you go. So, um, so the turning in pro and what was pro life like? Uh, oh. Was it uh, you know I mean we uh, it was a money game of course, but uh, it must have taken a little bit of pressure off you, or did it put more pressure on you? Oh well, to, to get uh, go a bit before that is that uh, I was offered a job with well I wasn't with Slashings, I was with Oliver. And uh, the guy from Slesia said, I want you to go to Europe in January and play uh, exhibitions for Slesia and uh, we'll pay all the expenses and everything like that. And that's when I came home and said to Gene, we've got to, got to get married because we can tour the world uh, and play tennis, you know, at Slesia's expense. Yeah. So you have any sponsors? So they were your major sponsor, was Schlesinger? No, I was with Oliver as a racket. He didn't, he didn't the guy... They didn't, didn't know, they didn't worry about that? They didn't worry about that, no, because yeah. I went to... We, after, I, see, I came home and said to Gene, we've got to get married after... I, we but what, was what did Schlesinger want for all this, for, you know, touring Europe if you didn't use their, their, their equipment? If you're still using Oliver racket... Yeah. Schlesinger allowed you to use Oliver Racket and paid all the expenses. Well, they were after the ball adoptions. Ah. So all the European countries were using Schlesinger balls. I see. So I, we, I, we got married. You know, you know, I came home and said to Jim, we're going to get married uh, after we won the Davis Cup and that. And... Uh, she had about three weeks to prepare to get married. <laughs> anyway, we we got married and we left, and we I played in uh, uh, Norway, Sweden, Finland, Denmark. Oh, and uh, went down the the the, east, the coast into Paris. Mediterranean, and, yeah. Yeah, down to Monte Carlo and all that sort Frank, of thing. Frank, has it ever crossed your mind over the years that Jean, and don't take this personally, that she might have grown even more fonder of you when she found out that all these European trips were at her disposal instead of really loving you for the right reasons? <laughs> has that ever crossed your mind? Yeah, of course it has. <laughs> <laughs> and, and do you know that Jean Sedgman and Frank Sedgman played together and won an international tournament? At Portsea? No, no, no. overseas. Bolio, Bolio and 
France. And, and you've never heard of the name of Bolio, have you? Bolio? No, I haven't. Spaghetti Bolio. Anyway, <laughs> there's a story attached to that too because um, she was had a little uh, business on the side. She knew her Women's Weekly offered her a, a job to write some stuff about, uh, you know, where we'd the been. The circuit, the tennis circuit, the diary stuff. of it, yeah. yeah. Anyway, Bolio, she sat next to Somerset Morn. Ah. And she was, writing a, she was writing the article for the Women's Weekly. And I said, did you tell him how to spell... Did you uh, you know, fantastic or and all this <laughs> And uh, someone said, Morn was, you know, watching the tennis there and she was sitting right next to him. Fantastic. I remember seeing Jean, uh, I reckon the first time, I'm not sure, was Roger Clemson, This Is Your Life. Oh, yeah. Remember? Yeah. I think you'd already been married about 25, 27 years then, hadn't you? Yeah. Oh, but, geez, you're still a stunning lady. She still is probably now. At 90, she just had a 90th birthday. Yeah. But she, you'd punched well above your weight, Frank, in those days, honestly. You look like a duck out of water by comparison. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> no, but we travelled around, and, uh, the, and the other big story is that we, while I was playing all against all the number one players in Europe, and we, they asked us to play in Berlin. Cool. And while well, we were in the south of France... And we had to go to Berlin, so we went through the East Berlin train to Berlin. Right. And then we had to go through Checkpoint Charlie. Checkpoint Charlie. And I, the the Yanks couldn't do it because if they had an American passport, they wouldn't wouldn't allow you to go through. But uh, anyway, uh, I said, well. I've got an Australian passport, is that all right? So anyway, we got on the train and went to Berlin. We didn't know what we were doing. We said, oh, where's Checkpoint Charlie? And oh, yeah, it's there. So we produced our Australian passports. Luckily, they let us through because, you know, the, the walls. That would have been yeah. a chilling experience. It wasn't until 89 when yeah. Gorbachev and, of course, Reagan yeah. anyway. knocked the wall down. But I, you, I, I'd imagine, Frank, going through Checkpoint Charlie would be a huge disappointment because uh, <laughs> on the other side, there wasn't much there. There wasn't much on the, uh, oh, the east side, side of uh, Berlin, but they, they were recovering very well on the west side. Yeah. Western side, yeah, yeah, more democratic side. yeah. Now, Frank, in recent times, uh, I, I read with interest, you coached Margaret Court. That's right, yeah. I didn't realise you were coaching, but uh, you had difference in terms of your differences with women's equality. You know, Margaret being uh, the uh, preacher that she is now, she firmly believes in, in alternate marriage. Yeah. But you were adamant that, you know, alternate well, marriage is okay. Yeah. Oh, well... Did that cause a rift between the two of you? No, no, no. She um, she came and lived at the up place for about six months, and I had a court in the backyard. She was Margaret Smith then. Yeah, and she lived in Albury, and her coach came and saw me in, in Al- from Albury, Wally Rutter, and uh, he said, oh, I can, I've taken her as far as I can take it. She wants somebody to, you know, take her a bit further. And I said, oh, well, I'll... She can come live with us for a while and, uh, well, give us some uh, hits on the court and, you know, just 
work out a few things that she's probably got to do to become a champion. I, I told her, well, you can make history becoming the worst, uh, the first uh, woman, Australian woman player to win Wimbledon. And so she worked hard and I, I bought the gym in Little Collins Street, that's Findlay's gym. And, uh, you know, it was a weight training mm. place and, uh, and no, nobody had heard of girls using weights and even they hadn't used, that's where I, Hockman sent me to build up mm. strength to give, you know. Like the, gym so, like the gym so much you bought it. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that was in my first business venture and uh, it wasn't too bad, but... Uh, you know, like everything, the parking was easy in the early yeah. days. So then they cut out, you couldn't park out in little uh, Collins Street. So, you know, it became a uh, place where you just just surviving. And so I thought I'd better sell it and try and find something else to do. Frank Sedgman, our guest on uh, golf, uh, golf and Life, Sport and Life. I say Golf and Life all the time. I don't know why, Frank. I am playing golf today, by the way. First time in five months uh, with Frank Sedgman, uh, legend that he is. And we're talking about uh, Margaret Smith going to the gym. Uh, she was a pretty solid lady anyway when she was oh, quite she, young, wasn't she? She was pretty skinny. We, and, of course, it was a men's gym. I had to put up a curtain just to protect it, you know, from <laughs> seeing the nude guys walking around after, <laughs> oh, after the shower, you know. And uh, anyway, uh, she worked hard at it and she she seemed to enjoy it a lot. And, uh, you know, she worked hard on the gun. <coughs> was but she, was, she got very nervous in the big matches. Did she? Yeah. She, she sort of never could relax as much. Well, well, she had a she, pretty good record in them, though. Yeah, she she got. Oh, she's one of the best women. Players Still holds of all the record, time. doesn't she? Mm. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. But uh, the forehand would go off, and <laughs> you know, you'd say to her, well, "Where's you got to put a bit of topspin on the forehand?" And you know, the flying into the back of the court, you know, into the netting at the back, uh, because she was very nervous but I think she overcame it very well it was Stan Nichols in the gym at that time yeah, yeah. He, he took over while I was away he was teaching her all the double knee jumps and, yeah. and uh, all the exercises he was good Stan wasn't he I trained with him in 68 69 at the gym oh did you my word at my gym yeah it, it uh, was Stan Nichols did you yeah oh, my word yeah. and look at what's made of him <laughs> well he, he knew what he was doing yeah my word he did Frank uh, the other the other thing that always well, it's very difficult to sum up in different eras but I always ask people I remember I asked Craig Stoddard about you know motor racing you know just how much technology has has uh, progressed or improved the game in your guy, you know, I remember the wooden ten. I had your racket, the Fred Sedgman <laughs> racket, and an Alex Almeida racket I had. Oh, I did. I do. I remember them vividly. Because, so, you know, being raised in Myrtleford, we had grass courts in Myrtleford. Love tennis. How much has the contemporary game been affected, you know, with the technology of the rackets by comparison to your era? Oh, well, um, that's, that's good that you ask that because uh, I saw the changeover of when... You used wooden rackets to using the, the metal, the metal, metal frame, frame ones, 
And it was so happened that it was Don Budge. I was over in uh, Los Angeles when Harry Hopman got to me to go uh, away with him. He said, oh, he had a, we met a, a guy uh, in, Australian guy in New York who sponsored me for my time spent in California. And I was in California at the Los Angeles Tennis Club. I was there for five weeks on playing on cement courts, just practising. And Don Budge came out with this big-headed Prince racket. That's right, yeah, And he said, you should try this out, you know. And I said, oh, God, yeah. I, didn't, I couldn't use that. <laughs> and I, I stuck with the wooden racket. And, uh, but that's when I first saw the... The steel frame, the big... Because had a big sweet... I remember the big rackets had yeah, the big yeah, heads. had a big head. Yeah, it'd be and alien I, to you guys, because you know, the wooden racket was a small racket. Yeah. But I suspect the, the sweet spot, as they call it, would be much larger on that, you know, you could miss hit and still, you know, get away with it. No, but I, what I found was... If you hit the ball in the middle of the racket, it'd fly like mad, and it felt you know it was hard, hard to control. You had to learn how to use topspin. Top yeah. Did you topspin? Was topspin a real an art form in your era, or oh, was well, that developing? Yeah, well, we used to hit the ball, you know, like almost flat, flat yeah. but with a bit of spin on it. Right. Bit of topspin just to keep it in the court. In the court. But, uh, now you watch the kids play, oh. and they're hitting it with their elbow in here, and boom! My word. <laughs> and it's entirely different. It's an amazing game now. I remember Kuyong. Kuyong holds many memories for me. I used to go to Kuyong all the time. I used to go to all the tennis tournaments. Did my, you really? My word! Yeah. I was an avid follower from the. Uh, you know, I remember when Newcomb got beat by. Uh, uh, yeah. Oh, what's his name? The uh, guys. Anyhow. I mean, South African guy. No, no, he was w- Australian. W- w- no, he was Warwick Edmondson. Warwick Edmondson, that's Oh, him. that's right. The hot uh, North yeah. Wind day. Yeah. But I remember Vetus Gerolitis and all those guys of that era, and uh, oh, who was a good Argentinian, the left-hander. Uh, Talking about uh, Kuyong, good Kuyong. morning to Chris Brown and the whole crew at Kuyong. Yeah. They've done a good job there, yeah. But they were great, those, those grass courts, and then, of course, we had to take the next transition to... To Flinders or to Melbourne Park, which was also fantastic. Fantastic, yeah. But Grass Court was a different game, and I, in your area, you've won five majors. I know you won Wimbledon, Wimbledon once, American, uh, US, and Australian twice. The French, you couldn't quite nail the French. Why is it so unique on that uh, on that surface? Difficult. Well, it, you know, you had to be very patient. You, you know, playing a a net rushing game like I did, if you didn't hit the ball deep enough, they'd pass you. Mm. So it, you it, you had to change your game a bit. But I was a bit unfortunate not winning because I got to the final and I had to play Drobny and a big thunderstorm hit Paris, you know, big in, hit, hit the tennis courts. And we were waiting there and waiting. Anyway, they said, oh, you've got to go on because the place was full of people, you know. And... Uh, Anyway, we went on, and of course, I was trying to play a net rushing game. I played him, I'd play, beaten him in, uh, in in Monte Carlo, and I'd beaten him in Wimbledon. Rome, Rome, and I'd beaten him, you know, some of those other places. And I, fe- I felt I had the wood on him, 
but playing in, in Paris on these, you know, they were trying to, they were throwing the uh, onto car onto the court, trying to soak it up, soak it up, and everything like that. And of course, I was coming to the net, and I'd slipping and sliding all over the place, and uh, it affected my game a bit. And uh, anyhow, he beat me. I, I, um, I rang Frank a while ago. I, I, I get a, a book called The Oldie. It's a great compliment, isn't it? But The Oldie's a very funny magazine. That, well, you're uh, suggesting I should be in receipt of it, do Well, you? I think you should be. Uh, no, it's a very, very fine magazine. They print it in, in England, you know, typically English and um, fantastic. But a guy that writes a column at the back is called Tacky. And, he, and that's short for a Greek name, which goes forever, with yeah. Opelopolis in the end of it. But his name's Tacky, and he comes from a very, very wealthy family, and he played at Wimbledon. And uh, he wrote, uh, and I rang Frank about this, um, how tennis players that, of today aren't like the ones that he used to play against. And he absolutely pinpointed you and the Australians as being the ultimate of sports guys. You know, they, they played the game hard, they played it fairly, they had a good time afterwards, but that's not the case today. You know, they smash rackets and all that. <laughs> so uh, Tacky was a great uh, mate, but what he, uh, a great uh, fan of the Australian tennis players. But uh, uh, Drobny's now passed away by a long, long time, and so I suppose we can ask you a blunt question. I've never heard you bag anyone in your whole life, but... Tacky, whatever he's, well, I don't know what his what his words worth, but he said that Drobny was the one guy that wasn't in those days wasn't the gentleman sportsman. Yeah, well, yeah. oh well, I never had any problems with him. He, uh, you know, he probably questioned the line call occasionally, but uh, it's funny when I beat him at Wimbledon, uh, he came into the dressing room afterwards and he. The Dunlop guy that he was, you know, he's your sponsors, he's using the Dunlop racket. And he threw the rackets at this guy and he says, You cost me the Wimbledon final. What do they say? Well, he broke a string in his racket and he, he, he reckons he couldn't play with the other rackets. He liked his favourite favorite record. Because uh, <laughs> he won the first set that he yeah. beat you in the first set at uh, Wimbledon. You came back from one set down. Yeah, that's right. But he he broke the string at the, in the second game of the first, second set. You're two all. Yeah, we're two all. Yeah. You broke his serve. Yeah, and then uh, he he was useless after that. What about I run these names through you? Hode. Oh well, he's he's a. A bad luck story there because mm. uh, he was a tremendous gifted guy. player, wasn't gifted he? Gifted player, yeah. Rosewell? Well, Rosewell worked hard at his game, but he didn't have the big enough serve really to worry the big boys like, uh, you know, Laver and uh, Hody always felt. I was going to get the Laver. What, uh, what did you make of the rocket? He was fantastic, yeah. Anderson, he, Mal Anderson, and Ashley Cooper. Yeah, well. Anderson and Cooper, they were just below the, the Yeah, the run, top echelon. And they didn't quite have the confidence when they were playing against the top players. Wasn't Mel Anderson, though, the most successful Australian player? Yeah, yeah he won a lot of titles. Oh, he, he yeah, did. I, th I think he won the US, didn't he? And he won the US. Or am I thinking of Emerson? No, Roy Emerson, was a, he was a top-notch player. Was he, yeah. was he the one that won all the titles? Yeah, he yeah, was. Uh, yeah, Roy. Uh, 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 sorry, yeah. yeah. Uh, Ashley Cooper was a Fitzroy supporter. Yeah. 
because he, he was from Victoria. The well, Queenslander. No, no, he, no. he lived here originally. He lived in Melbourne. Yeah. Did he? Yeah, he played on in there. He lived on uh, in uh, Coburg, I think, or something. Oh, that, like that'll it. be the Fitzroy side, I guess. Yeah. And and how how bloke we never hear of much was Rose, and apparently he's a Mervyn. Yeah, <laughs> he's a wild boy. Yeah, yeah. but he, apparently he could play. Yeah, he was a good player. I've I've played him. Uh, he, he got crooked on me because I beat him in the semi-finals of the US and I beat him in the semi-finals of the Australian <laughs> and I beat him in the semi-finals of Wimbledon. And he could he could uh, cause a bit of trouble. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> on and off. That's a diplomatic way of putting it. <laughs> I, I had a couple of names, if I could throw them in, because they are all got sort of uh, South American-sounding names. I don't know where they were all from, but Pancho Gonzalez... No, he was a Mexican, lived in America. Mexico. Yeah, but a Mexican, so that makes him South American, I guess. No, well, he lived in America. Yeah, but... He was born in America. Oh, was he? I thought you yeah. said he was Mexican. Oh, okay. And and where where was um, Pancho Secura from? Ecuador. Oh, that's... I've got one in. <laughs> Alex Almeida, he was a... Uh, yeah, he, was a he was an American. An American, yeah. Yeah. But these were great players. Oh. Tony Trabert, another one? Well, well he, he lived in America. All-American boy, yeah. yeah. So who are the Italians? What, Pietrangelo? And Pietrangeli. He was a bit younger than we were. And Sorolla. Yeah, Vinny Sorolla, I think it was. And uh, who else was there? Well, it was mainly Pietrangeli that was Pietrangeli carried. He was the mainstay. He was a carried. He was the number one. one. Yep. The guy that brought it all forward, though, the pro, was Jack Kramer. And what gave him his entrepreneurial skills also? I mean, was he, was he trained or he's just a, one of those flukes of nature? Well, he was like the rest of it. He was an amateur and wasn't making any money. So he decided to turn pro and Bobby Riggs was the promoter. And... Uh, Jack Kramer played Pancho Gonzalez, who was a coming up junior in those days, and Jack beat Pancho quite comfortably on a 100-match tour, and he learned how to be a promoter, and, you know, he, he they built a canvas court that they carted around America with, and that's why he... He could offer me money. He, he, he knew uh, uh, all the tricks of the trade of how to, you know, uh, get publicity. He had a, a he had a he had a troop. They called it the Jack Kramer troop, wasn't it? Yeah, but he, he had a per- person go around before we played, about two weeks beforehand, and it happened to be Bobby Riggs's wife, oh. and she did all the. Uh, Publicity mm-hmm. with all the papers two weeks beforehand, and Jack used her to sell the, sell the, sell the tickets. Sell tour. Sell. Uh, what, what's, a, what's a canvas court? Well, it was a canvas was stitched together uh, the size of a tennis court, and they used to they used to have a truck that took it to all the places. Before. Like a boxing ring, you know, <laughs> really tighten. <laughs> tighten it up, yeah, yeah. with block yeah. and tackle. They'd tighten it up. Oh. And uh, a block and tackle <laughs> <laughs> sounds like a pub. <laughs> no, but it, you know, you had to have it tight, yeah. So, you know, they had to pull it tight, and, you know, 
had had the lines painted on it, so you had to put it in the right. Yeah, but section. over what anything? Yeah, over basketball courts or oh, ice. Yeah, okay. We played on a lot of on uh, ice rinks. We played. You put the tennis court on an ice rink. Yeah, where they and play ice hockey. Ice hockey. Mm. Do you play many five setters, Frank? No, they're all best of three. Best of three. Yeah. And the only no, no, I'm talking about your professional life. You know, oh, uh, well, against Kramer, I yeah. it was only best of three. Yeah. No, no, I know that, but in the Wimbledon and you know the you know it was a five best of five, wasn't it? Not, oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, did you play many five setters on as a pro? As a pro, not so many. No, there was there the, was a tournament at Wembley. That the, you question, played. the reason I'm asking you is in contemporary world, I don't know when the start of the tiebreaker came into vogue. Yeah. In your day, they had to have a two game differential. That's right. You know, some games, you know, the fifth set went 26 24. Yeah. I think the longest one, I think, was, uh, oh, I don't know, the big tall yank of contemporary played, I think, yeah, it was 36 34. 10 years ago, or so. Yeah. 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 Well, I played a. I was playing in the final one year there and. Uh, we played the semi-finals of the doubles. One set went to 31-29. 31-29. And another set went to 18-16. And I'm playing in the final against uh, Budge Patty the next uh, next day. <laughs> <laughs> so I stopped. <laughs> I don't think that caused, you know, I could have beaten Patty, I reckon, and all oh, yeah. things even, but... Um, I reckon you'd have a fair case to suspend it for a day. <laughs> yeah. Can we just switch off tennis for a minute? Because uh, you're not one-dimensional. You um, you got involved with racing. You had a yeah. very, very good racehorse for a time. And I keep forgetting the name. You know it. Fighting Harada. Hariba was the name. Hariba. Now, people mightn't remember Hariba, but it was going to be a superstar. And in fact, it probably was. It was a flying machine. Yeah, it was a flying machine. But the thing Purple didn't know was that it, every time he trained it, it bled. Oh. And he was trying to. This is Ken uh, Newman. Ken Newman. The trying to conceal it. He tried to hide the yeah. thing, you know. And he take he take it uh, from Melbourne up to up north for some reason. And he he run it in exhibition gallops around the, some of the country towns. And uh, I suppose it, you know he wanted to sort of try and c- keep the idea that uh, nobody knew about the horse bleeding and. Uh, but you know, when it when it was in a race, gee whiz, it could go. <laughs> well, it was fantastic. And of course, I suppose the, that interest led you to be on the committee and then chairman of the uh, of the Mornington Race Club, where yeah. you had uh, immortals like Des Kelly. <laughs> no, we had a really good committee, but, uh, which was lucky for me because I was wasn't a real top notch businessman or you know a negotiator, but. Uh, we had some really good guys on the committee. Were you before Ron Casey? Yeah, I was, no, I was a, no, yes, well, Ron Casey was before me. Yeah. Oh, he was before you. Predecessor. Yeah. But the guy that really started wanting was Sir Reginald Anzac. Well, I was going to get on to Reg, yeah. Sir Reginald, I'm not Sir Reginald. Sir Reginald. No, that was a good time. But uh, anyway, I, just, I was a, a boy amongst. Uh, uh, you know, still the humble <laughs> self, Frank. You can't. He's a humble, humble man. But the, it, it, was, it was. It was really. It, it, Mornington, being Mornington, being sort of out of suburban but country at the same time. Yeah. So you had those sort of people, didn't you? Yeah. Had very, very good business blokes, but they were a lot of them were 
country aristocracy. Uh, well, they were. That's right. Yeah. They were sort yeah. of tweed suited. You know, aric- yeah, they were. Yeah. Um, yeah. But they bundled together as a terrific committee. I remember it well. Yeah. And oh. a great leader in Frank as the chairman. They've. <laughs> It was a catalyst that banded them all together like a centrifugal force, Leon. Well, I think we've yeah. found out that Frank Sedgman is a very, very nice chap today and his wife is a wonderful person. Oh. Well, and we attribute a lot of his success to his wife, which I think is a nice way of saying, look, we know Jean's a very, very lucid and very smart lady. But I think in saying that, we've also got to acknowledge the fact that Frank, I think, he had a fair bit of grey matter that lent itself to the commercial world as well. I want to. I want to. We've got to finish shortly, Frank. But I, we should mention Neil Fraser because uh, you're a fellow member of the Carbine Club with Neil, and uh, I know you had a lot of uh, battles with him. I suppose over the time. Well, he was uh, younger than yeah, me, but you're, you're, uh, yeah. he lived next door to me in three different houses. That's right, Hampton. And yeah, and I always used to say to him, "I'm the best player in the street." <laughs> well, you, did, did, you had Neil Roberts in your street too, didn't you? Oh, down the road. Down a bit. the road a bit. Yeah. In Bay Morris, he does want to mention the town <laughs> because it's a leafy tree-lined opulence. <laughs> we know you're wealthy, Frank. You don't have to conceal it here. <laughs> <laughs> so it's been a great. Have you pleasure. got a tip for me today? No, I was going <laughs> to ask you who, you who do you like in the cup because uh, we won't uh, be going to the cup this year. No, that's right. First, no, uh, first know. time in a long, long time. Yeah, I'll say that's been fantastic. Isn't it? Yeah, the right. ones we went to, yeah. We we'll have to wait for thanks, thanks for Jerry. <laughs> thanks Our spiritual Jerry. leader, Jerry Ryan, I was about to say. Well, we might have to wait for him to give the the real oil. Yeah. But uh, uh, I, I uh, you know, have got an interest in the races and uh, did my money a lot. <laughs> uh, hang on. I think it was, I can tell you, I can tell us in public now. It must have been five or six years ago, sitting there in the box and... Uh, Frank's sitting there with the usual sort of a little smile on his face. And I said, you look pretty happy. He said, oh, yeah, I just got that first four. God, what was that worth? Oh, I think about 25000 or something. <laughs> <laughs> what did you win that day? Well, I had a double going for, with the Caulfield Cup winner and the Melbourne Cup winner. And it so happened that <clears throat> I thought, you know, uh, what's, what was the... Uh, English batsman's name, uh, Colin Cowdery. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He brought a horse out. Oh, his, his wife, wife, yeah. his wife, his wife was, was a trainer. trainer. Lufton's Melody or something? Yeah, something, uh, yeah. Melody. Dara, or Darapani or something like that. Anyway, uh, I thought, well, if, she, if they bring this horse out from England, it must be a pretty good horse. So I took three horses in the, in the, in the Caulfield Cup and I'd been over to New Zealand playing tennis and... I ran it, you know, I'm talking to the guys over there about horses and they said, well, the two horses we got going to the Melbourne Cup, they're sensational. So I, I put three horses in the, in the Caulfield Cup, coupled up with uh, three, three horses in the Melbourne Cup that included the New Zealand horse. And uh, they used to give you the... Uh, the sheets, charts. the sheets, the sheets uh, yeah, before yeah. the. Anyway, that they were all fifteen hundred to one, and I took fifty dollars on. Uh, True. Now you're you're a mathematician. What's fifty dollars multiplied by fifteen hundred? Well, let me tell you something, Frank. That Leon did made a mistake. He said some five years ago, 
Well, I'm fairly well political, as you know, and freedom of information exceeds five years ago. Dan, what did you say? Dan's giving me a hint. 75,000. But it was, uh, that was probably Kiwi going back in those days, but no, it was no, a it separate was, occasion. It was um, something like uh, Darapani and it uh, was a Christmas name, like... Uh, I can't think of it, but five years ago, so no, he's, he's had another no. win. He's had another win another when he win. got the first four. He, look, Frank. he's a winner all through. And by the way, again, happy birthday, uh, birthday to you, Frank. And we appreciate you being with us on uh, Sport and Life, uh, wonderful life. And by the way, you uh, you're into the nineties now. Oh yeah. Uh, finished your, your your tennis career. Well, I've finished the tennis career, and I've. Uh, had us all back, so I haven't been able to play golf. Uh, I went up to Queensland last year and hurt my back, and anyway, I fixed it up, so I'm ready to fire again. What, so, was, your, what was your lowest handicap in golf? Oh, I got down to two. Not and, bad. And uh, you, you were at Royal Melbourne, you were at... Uh, where else? Oh, when I was chairman at... Uh, Morning, no, uh, down at... Um, oh, what's the name? Cape Shankway? No, no, no. It was a Melbourne club. Jeez, um, Royal Melbourne. No, no, no I played at Royal. I was a member of Royal Melbourne, but I was runner up at uh, Woodlands. That's oh, Woodlands! Woodlands. Oh, well, yeah. well, they've got to be a good player to play there because Simon Beasley's member there. A lot of a lot of the greens are raised, and uh, you've got to be a very good chipper and putter there. That's right. Yeah. Well, I was runner up there one year, and I played pennant for them. So uh, we had a lot of fun there. Well, I got to say, I've never been so entertained. Oh, I, honestly, I haven't even had a sip of a uh, print during this uh, last hour or hour and a half. We're about to uh, get into the print uh, from uh, Nagambi, from uh, Mitchelton. You go on for hours with Frank. Look, I didn't ask you half the things I wanted to ask you, Frank, but uh, it's given you given us a great insight, mate, because you are a legendary Australian. I mean, I don't patronise or condescend easily because I think I'm a superstar in my own right, <laughs> but when I'm in your midst... I pale into total insignificance, oh, well, mate. It's very kind of you to say that. One of my great grandkids is uh, uh, my daughter married uh, Russell, Russell Green, <laughs> three hundred game player for yeah, Russell, Russell Green. And uh, anyway, they had a uh, they had a daughter called Angie, and Angie has produced a, a baby of about uh, it's about twelve months now. And she's called and the baby after Jean and I. It's called Frankie Jean. Frankie Jean. Oh, Billy Jean <laughs> is my girl. Frankie Jean. Well, yeah. and like Billy Jean. You congratulations know. Yeah, Billy Jean, to the uh, to that to the whole family. And uh, is that your first great grand? No, this is a fifth. God Almighty! Yeah, how big's the family tree? What about the Carver when they finally uh, get into the will? Well, jeez. <laughs> that, that'll be a long, long, long way away yet, let me tell you. Just for the benefit of our listeners, and this does bear mentioning, Leon, you know, Frank Sedgman is 93 years of age, but if there's ever a more lucid, athletic, agile individual at 93, I'll, be, oh, I, I'll go he. Could I correct you? He's 93 plus one day. Well, 93 <laughs> plus one day. But yeah. just doesn't miss a beat. And what people don't also understand, I don't want to talk about personal issues, but if you sat with him in a more convivial environment uh, over, say, a drip tray, <laughs> uh, you'll notice that his level of consumption parallels the most hardened of drinkers oh, over I a lengthy period of time. <laughs> 
Now I'm talking out of school, but he enjoys a light shandy after a round or two. Oh, that's a better yeah, way of putting it, Leon. Yes, yeah. well done, Leon. <laughs> Thank you to Dan Jones, our producer. Thank you to Sam Kekovich, Leon Wigard signing off, and a big thank you to Frank Sedgman. Thanks, Leon. Thanks. Well done. Happy birthday, Francis. <laughs> thank you. <laughs>